You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. If nothing else, over the last 18 months or so in our country, it should remind us that the voice of not just faith, but the Christian voice can't be just contained inside the walls of the church house, but it needs to echo in the public and political arenas as well. I'm thankful, and even now we see that heightened necessity of having Christian voices in our government. We're honored today to have a man with us. He's been a soldier, a statesman, better than all that, a Christian man. Our 70th Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. I'd like for you to stand to your feet with me. Let's welcome him today. Secretary, if you'll make your way to the platform at this time. Thank you for that uh, most gracious welcome uh, and that kind introduction. I am so honored to be here today in this special place in the house of the Lord. Um, A a special thought this moment. You're here on a week that's special where we're going to talk about missions and missions work. We saw that in the last few hours we had Christian missionaries in Haiti who have been taken and kidnapped. Uh, please, Please pray for them. Please pray that the United States will use all of its resources to get those people back to their families and to home and to our country. It, it reminded me when I read this this morning, uh, just this past week, I had the chance to be reunited with an amazing Christian man. Uh, he's a reverend who had been held captive in North Korea for several hundred days. And I had the incredible privilege to travel to Pyongyang and ask an evil man, Chairman Kim, the leader of North Korea, to return he and two of his colleagues back to the United States of America. You should know that we were ultimately successful in that. It was, it was uh, one of the most uh, emotional times as my secretary's time as my secretary of state. You should also know that I know that no slick talking, no good diplomacy, no, no power of the United States government ultimately returned Pastor Huxon to the United States. It was the Lord that provided that. And I pray that, these, I pray that these missionaries that are now being held in Haiti will be returned too. Uh, Pastor Cooper, that was a great introduction. It's great to be back. I grew up in Santa Ana, California, so here in this state, it's changed a lot since I was here. Uh, one of my favorite pastimes is leaf blowing, and I understand that, that that may not be quite as easy as it used to be. I, I had the incredible privilege to serve as your Secretary of State. Uh, And it's fitting today that as you start your missions conference, and as I had this chance to travel the world and see so many places where missionaries serve and do such uh, remarkable work in countries that frankly don't cherish or protect religious freedom, you all are hard at work on that very mission set. And while while the work as I did as your Secretary of State was sometimes challenging, uh, it was incredibly rewarding to see Christian people all across the world working to create better lives for others all across the world. I was, I was one week ago today in church. I was in church in Jerusalem. 
in the old city in a Christian church that I'd taken my son to 15 years ago today and my wife and I were blessed to take our son back. He's now 31 years old. And we were able to worship in the same way and sing songs that we sung here this morning in a place that we know as Christians is so terribly important to our faith. Amen. Uh, you know, when I was a CI director, I'll take you back, it's almost five years ago now. I was our most senior spy, it's a great gig. I was climbing out of the plane in the dark at a night in a tough, pretty tough place in the world. And as I climbed down the small set of stairs, I was greeted by the ground crew, a couple folks. And one of the gentlemen pressed a small book into my hand and we were hurrying to get off the tarmac. When I got into the vehicle, I could see that it was a Bible that he had placed in my hand. It had a handwritten note inside it. It said, Mr. Director, you have been a light to me and to the world. Bless you. I later learned that this man worked for the State Department, goodness knows, I had no dream that I would one day lead him and his organization. Um, but I did know, I did know that for at least one person, at one moment, I had been a light. And your, your songs this morning spoke to this, your pastor spoke about our duty to be that light. This story is certainly not about me, it's about you, it's about each of us. It is my hope that our entire nation will manifest reverence for our Lord and that his righteousness will be ever present in our Amen. land. Amen. Maybe take just a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, lead our nation to glory through obedience to your word. Permit us to adhere to President Lincoln's precept that our greatest concern must always be that we are on God's side, for God is always right. Dear Lord, please guide our nation's leadership heal our nation's wounds, and grant peace to our former president and his family who did his best to serve every day. Amen. You know, your church reaches around the world. It's a glorious place. I was speaking with one of your leaders who told me he had been in a very difficult place in Ukraine and Crimea, taking the Lord's word. Your work and service to our Lord is so important to our nation. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it I see everything else. This idea, this idea that we know truth and we can honor the truth, the truth, our belief in Jesus Christ is how we gain strength to face what must be faced without resort to falsehoods. Our, our strength is granted to us by the Lord. I think this brief statement summarizes the quality of vision, which is to see the world as it is, and we tried during our time in office to see the world as it was, acknowledging that there was both good and evil in the world, and to support the former, and to try to deny the capacity for evil to spread. You know, my, my wife Susan always tells me, you saw her in some of the pictures, uh, she's one of the most gracious, wonderful, human beings I have ever known. She always tells me that forgiveness is really important. She says she practices it almost every day with me. <laughs> she told me the other day she thought I'd lost some weight and I said, great, where do you see it? And she said, it's mostly in your hairline, I think. <laughs> uh, we, we know too that we're a, the most amazing nation in the history of civilization, but we, but we, but we have our faults. We must grow. We must learn as a people and as a nation. We must share our sorrows, our joys. 
and we must acknowledge our failings along with the amazing accomplishments of our country. Uh, Americans know this. We, we don't have to parse or strain our history. We need not walk away from it yeah. to know that the, the pride of living in this nation where we can come to places like this on a Sunday morning in fellowship Praise and pray, pray with the Lord Amen. is something that not every nation has and that we should never take for granted. Amen. Amen. I, I remarked as I traveled the world working on religious freedom issues, we put it at the very top of the things that I talked about as I traveled the world. Um, we remarked that we were concerned that during this virus we had given up some of our religious freedom as well. Please, this church has been so bold and so strong, never, never allow government to take that away from you. Now, you saw in the video, I'm an evangelical Christian. Um, I think I wear some people out by talking about it. Good for them. Uh, I was led to Jesus Christ by a couple of cadets a year older than me when I was a young student at the United States Military Academy. Goodness, it's been almost 40 years ago now. Um, as a Secretary of State, I kept an open Bible on my desk. I had, as remarkable, I had a senior leader call me about two weeks ago, another American senior leader say, you know, Mike, I went in and I, I had, I'd been serving in the government for eight years and I'd, I'd, I'd always been a Christian, but I never really wanted to talk about it I never, because it was always difficult. And I saw that Bible on your desk and I went home that night and told my wife and henceforth I put a Bible on my desk Amen. too. These are, these are small things, but we can each act on them in ways that give others courage and others capacity and others a central understanding that proclaiming our faith is important and right. Uh, my wife and I had the incredible privilege a, a long time ago now to teach fifth grade Sunday school. She would take the girls, I'd take the boys, she'd teach them the Bible, I'd try and keep them from hurting each other. We studied too. We, we always, in the prayer memorization, we always crushed it. So you, you young, we're the young people. We always crushed it. The boys could do pretty darn good. Uh, frankly, it was the best practice to become Secretary of State that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I've been a, I'm a husband. Uh, we're raising a son still. I served as a cavalry officer. Um, each of these roles required me to do a couple things. First, to keep my faith. Second, to make sure that uh, I was quick, quick to listen and absorb and be measured in the way I spoke, to do my best to be gracious each and every day. These, these choices we make uh, have consequences for ourselves and our families, for our nation. And so long as we can recall, remember, and act upon the central idea that through Christ and our supplication to his word, we can gain insight we can solve lots of problems here at home. And so while there are many challenges, we should remain optimistic because the Lord is watching over this Judeo-Christian nation. You can be sure of that. I, uh, I had the chance to travel to Cairo, Egypt, and to visit the most amazing Christian church in the heart of one of the world's largest Muslim nations. It was a magnificent cathedral, newly opened. There I witnessed Christ's hand at work. There's no other explanation. President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi said in that church that all Egyptians remain one. What a message for a Muslim leader in a Muslim nation. What a marvelous message that God heals the deepest of wounds and brings people together because we know we are all his children. Uh, I must say, of all the things I've learned in these past four years, it is clarity of sight. 
the capacity to see things as they are that has proven most vital. There was an earlier reference in your praise service about Jeremiah. He warned us that foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear, should you not fear me? Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait like men who snare birds. Their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. I saw lots of depravity around the world, people living in very difficult conditions under enormously repressive regimes. It is such a blessing we have here. Remember, too, to praise and thank our founders. They put faith, they put faith at the center of the public square. They were fearless in doing so. They knew all human beings are made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 makes so clear. They knew that God informed moral standards bring order and flourishing to a fallen world. It was George Washington, that great leader, he said, of all dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Yeah. I, uh, I'm reminded there was a, uh, a time toward the end of my service, four countries in South America. I saw firsthand in Brazil what America's doing to help suffering people of Venezuela. This country loves our neighbors like no other nations. We do great Amen. missions work. We, we give of ourselves to them. And I saw too during this pandemic, your church as a beacon of love during this trying time. Uh, I had the incredible privilege to watch the fruits of this good work uh, with historic peace that we brought to the Middle East and the Abraham Accords. Amazing leaders sitting together, Muslims, Jews, Christians, speaking of their faith and their holy places of worship inside of their countries and understanding that peace and love could bring their peoples together. It, it was, as Alexander Hamilton wrote, the sacred rights of mankind are written as with a sunbeam by the hand of divinity itself and can never be erased or obscured by mortal power. You know, uh, there was a former national security advisor. He, he, she was the president's senior foreign policy staffer. And she said that it was problematic, uh -huh. problematic that Mike Pompeo is overtly religious. <laughs> yeah. The New, York Times, the New York Times said, uh, said no secretary of state in recent decades has been as open and fervent as Mr. Pompeo about discussing Christianity and foreign policy in the, in the same breath. I, uh, my team came in that day and read me that, and I said, well, how many breaths am I supposed to take <laughs> before I talk about the deep connection between our Judeo-Christian heritage and our greatness and America's place in the world? I knew, I knew, and our entire team knew that connecting faith and foreign policy is a good thing. And we reminded people all around the world of that. One of the most remarkable times in my service was I was sitting in Qatar, in Doha, Qatar. We were working to deliver a good outcome in Afghanistan. Sadly, we did not get one. I was working to deliver this. I had sitting at the table an individual who I am almost certain killed one of my best friends, a member of the Taliban. But we had alongside him Christians and women from non-governmental organizations inside of Afghanistan, brave women trying to build Afghan's judi Afghanistan's judiciary, soldiers who had toiled for years 
trying to protect and preserve children's rights and women's rights inside of that country. It was amazing. It was eye-opening. In each of the remarks by all of the 40-some people sitting in this room that day, every one of them referenced God as a solution to the evil that had been foisted in Afghanistan for so many years. Now, I'm not naive. I know that God's name can be invoked for evil. But when I met with the leaders that day, they knew that they were meeting with a man of faith that gave us common ground for a place to begin our conversation. Faith strengthened our diplomacy. It can never undermine it. You know, uh, one last story. The State Department is a place that has become awfully secular, indeed often antagonistic to people of faith. Uh, we tried to change that. We tried to change that by just living out our Amen. Christian faith and being doing so in a way that was gracious and humble and reminded each day that it was the Lord that was helping me solve problems for our country all across the world. Uh, a young woman came in to me. Uh, this was near my, the end of my time. She was a leader of a Christian faith group inside the State Department. I had never heard of it. She said to me, Mr. Secretary, before you arrived, we didn't think it was very wise to gather around our belief in Jesus Christ. Mm. Now we know, now we know that we must. Amen. We must show the value added to people Amen. of all faiths inside of our State Department's admission. Uh, you know, the New York Times would have you believe that this is an aberration. There are those in this very community all around us here in parts of Northern California who stare at us who come to church each Sunday and they think, I can't understand why it is they go to these places and worship. Be fearless. Be faithful. Amen. Honor your Lord. Amen. And they will come Amen. to see. Yes. They will come to see just as each and every you, each and every one of you has done, that Jesus Christ is the solution. Yeah. It is places like faith, of this like faith, that allow us to forget our critics. We have to keep our faith in public, in the public square. The magnitude of our nation's moral quandary today requires this. And it will not be solved in Washington, D.C. It will be solved by faithful people all across America reclaiming the greatness of the United States of America. Amen. No one of another faith or no, no one of any faith need fear us. America will always be that land of hope and never one of fear. I truly believe. I truly believe that with all my heart, there are no godless persons, for God knows each and every one of us. Because the, what we know that is this, while he knows us, it is through him that everyone will ultimately, I pray, come to know him in the same way that each and every one of you do. Let us fight to have that right, wherever we may be, to display our faith. The biblical command to shine the light of Jesus upon the world as you invoke, embark on this mission week, know that this is our mission. We are here today in our mission field. Amen. Bless each of you for all that you do for his kingdom. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. May God bless this church and each and every one of you. The word of God says in Proverbs 14, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We are bringing 
judgment on ourselves. Righteousness exalts a nation. Abraham Lincoln said it so correctly many years ago, America will not ever be destroyed by a transatlantic power. But if America is ever destroyed, she will be destroyed from within. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. When a nation collapses, when a church collapses, when a marriage collapses, it always collapses from within. And then we blame everyone else for the collapse. I was remembering when Mr. Nikita Khrushchev said this, we will invade and take over America without ever firing a a shot. He knew that we would corrupt from our schools. He knew that we would corrupt from within. And we're seeing a prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. Now, what's going on? How is this happening? Well, the first one we always like to blame, and it's the wrong one to ever blame, is government. We are in this condition not because of government. Government is a reflection of the people. Government was placed there by us. You say, well, look at the craziness of their decisions. Um, We're told that 81 million people voted this last election. And we're told that the president, we chose the president. We chose the Congress. We chose these political leaders. Uh, locally, statewide. We just had an election here. We chose the governor again twice. It's what we wanted. You know, the man who sits in the White House, we want to point blame at him. Wait a minute. He told us. He was, <laughs> he was honest. He told us he believed in abortion. He wants to add to the 66 million babies that have been slaughtered. When my wife and I got married, if we would have been expecting shortly thereafter, we could not have slaughtered that baby because it was illegal. We knew what we were getting. We knew what we were getting with euthanasia. We knew what we were getting with the Middle East. We knew that we were going to get release of prisoners. When we voted in California last month, we've already released 18,000 in this state. We knew the governor did that, and we knew he was going to do more. Don't blame the governor. Don't blame the president. We put them there. You know, the uh, government, we were told, uh, they believe in controlling our lives. They believe in controlling our health. Uh, They believe in an anti-God philosophy. Uh, They believe in sodomy. They believe in becoming uh, cozy with communists. I'm not being, you see, you're being, no, no, I'm just telling you, this is what they told us they believed. We put them there. Uh, They told us they believe in a welfare mentality. By the way, the Bible says if a man will not work, he should not eat. 
But we knew that, and it's going to grow. They told us, I can recall the day, saying, I believe in more taxation. Don't blame the government on taxation. We asked for it. That had been a good place to say amen. They believe in a hatred and disdain for our heritage, but they told us that. Well, so we don't as Christians. Maybe that's where the problem is. That's where it lies today. I want you to know that today, I want to briefly in these few moments pinpoint where the problem lies, and it doesn't lie with government. The Bible says like people, like priests. Our government will reflect what we are. I see it's twofold, the problem. One, it's the church. The Bible said in the text we read, husbands love your wives, Jesus Christ loved the church. In this text, it's found six times. The word church is a Greek word, ekklesia. It's found 118 times in the New Testament. Ekklesia means a called out assembly. We are called out of the world into this place. That's why this is a New Testament local Baptist church. We have been called out by God. Jesus gave his life for the church. The restrainer of evil is not government. The restrainer of evil is the New Testament local church. But we live in a moment, we want to be accepted by the community. We have created churches that largely, not all, but largely do not promote righteousness, but rather liberality. Instead of soldiers for Jesus Christ in the church, it looks like we have a lot of sissies. Instead of Christ-like, we're corrupt in the church. Our churches have begun to reflect nothing but play and party and community and a nightclub atmosphere. All right, this old guy's getting older. One day I'll die of a heart attack 50, 60, 70 years from now, you can get a young guy in here and you can change all the lights and you can black out the ceiling and you can put a rock band up here and get rid of the choir and get rid of the songs that sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name and blessed assurance Jesus is mine and greatest thy faith. You can get rid of all that and have your club. But the club will not spare a nation. The church is the institution and the church, God has ordained the foolishness of preaching. What is preaching? Keruk is the Greek word. It means to declare with authority, to announce with authority, thus saith the Lord. Can you imagine Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel living this day? Well, brethren, today we want to talk in this seminar about how to get along with one another and relationships of mankind. No, let me tell you what John the Baptist, he said, Herod, you're living with that woman. She's not your wife. You are filthy. Lost his head over it. The church is always the restrainer. I grew up in such an incredible era. My twin sister is here, though she's much older than I am. But nonetheless, and her husband, a preacher all these many years. We, we grew up here, a little city of 2,500 people called Centerville. He, my brother-in-law lived in Irving, it was Centerville District as well. And then um, our church was in Irvington. 
became Fremont, almost 300,000 people now, but it was all orchards and farms nearby here. We moved to California with our folks in 1953, and we settled here. And I want to tell you something. We, we, we grew up in an era where in public school, we pledged the flag every day. We grew up in an era where we had prayer with our kindergarten teacher over our milk and crackers in the morning in public school, right 15 minutes from here. But we grew up in an era also when everything was shut down on Sunday. We didn't have restaurants. We had one hamburger stand, Bobo's. And Bobo's, you can get six hamburgers for a buck. Man, it was great. About maybe every other month we'd go. But I'll tell you what we did have. We had churches. In our city, our area, I could watch our neighbors going to church. And we would go to church. And i tell you what I loved. My, my pastor, Pastor Smith, my brother-in-law's dad, uh, we would have singing in church. And we would sing. I can remember sitting next to my mother and dad. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Oh, I can remember singing. I can remember going to Mrs. Daniel's Sunday school class and as a boy. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let only a boy named deep, deep and wide, deep, uh, for God so loved the that, That's how we grew up. Everything was shut down on Sunday. The Flying A gas station was closed down. The Shell station was closed down. The mobile station was closed down. You didn't get gasoline on Sunday. You didn't go to the grocery store on Sunday because Sunday was a holy day, not a holiday. You went to church. Thank God for it. I thank God for what God gave us. And Sunday we'd sing at church and our pastor would preach at church and we went to Sunday school at church and we'd pay attention at church like you. God bless you teenagers up there and all of you and even you real old Christians. God bless you. You know the masks are great, aren't they? Sometimes someone's preaching. Brother Cooper's up here preaching. Sometimes it's boring. You know how it goes. <laughs> He's never boring. Sometimes I sit and I find myself yawning. I just pull that mask up. And sometimes I start sleeping. I just pull it up a little further. <laughs> I love the mask. They're great for that. That's the only thing. But nonetheless, may I say this? Church. Church. You caught that, didn't you? Church. What did he do? Church. Got it right up over his head. I'm just glad he's in church today. He doesn't preach. He doesn't come. But nonetheless, I'm just saying today, the church is the answer. God's institution, the church. So many of our churches, I, and I, I don't know what all other churches, but, but you see it. No conviction. No stake of standard and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what we believe. It's a place of righteousness. It's a place to fulfill the Great Commission. We're to go all over this region and get the gospel to everyone. Amen. Oh, COVID's changed us. Yes, I know that. But may I tell you what one thing COVID's done for us? This church is going to celebrate in 2025, 50 years here. I tell you what COVID's done. Last year, we went door to door taking a full Bible, Genesis through Revelation. 50,000 homes in this city, everybody got a Bible. You know what we found? We found that most people want the Bible. Most people would say thank you. We had some folks even send in a, a, a small amounts of money. 
We, we've uh, found listeners in this city I never knew of before, and they listen to our programming 24 hours a day. I want you to know I thank God what has happened there. This year we're going to hit 100,000 doors in these cities around here, taking the word of God. And oh, once in a while there's a nutcase. We're going to sue you. Stand in line. <laughs> May I say this? There's a few like that. But I tell you what, the overwhelming amount of people, we've had people stop us on the street. You just came by my house. Didn't answer the door, but I want to thank you for the Bible. There's a hunger for the Word of God. Well, yeah, but there's a hatred for God. Yes, there is. There's always been a hatred for God. That's why he went to the cross. They hated him. But the truth is, he's fulfilling the will of the Father. The church today is so important. God's people don't change the church, don't water down the church. But there's a second institution. America's in a mess. I never thought we would see what we're seeing. To see the head of the transportation in a bed with his husband and their little babies in America. And I know we're being monitored. I know it every week. We're an evil nation right now. Righteousness, 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 righteousness exalts a nation. We, we cannot cave on righteousness. Righteous, where is right? We must do right. Where does right come from? Can God. Righteousness exalts a nation. It will lift up a nation, but sin is a reproach, and there's a consequence for sin. The wages of sin is death. We can't play with sin without having consequences. So the church is so important. Let me close. Your home is important. Our homes need to become havens of righteousness. Our church is havens of righteousness. Look at that verse in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church, he gave himself for it. Uh, marriage is so important. Why? That he may sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the water, by the word, and he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 32, this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's showing marriage and the church how important they are. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Let the wife see that she reverence her husband. As we think today of the home, uh, the, the home is absolutely necessary in preserving a nation. Yet as we live in this nation of ours, even Christian homes, we're seeing corruption that has created an environment in our homes. I know there's undoubtedly about 100 countries watching now in every state. Wait a minute. Christians everywhere. God bless you. Unsaved, I know. But, but Christians, I'm talking to you in this room, on the radio right now, and, and on the internet. We feel like we can be a Christian and, and come even to God's house and live in sin. Christian homes are putting kids to bed where a mother 
goes to bed with a man who's not her husband is called adultery. Fornication, our, our, our kids are seeing it. Christian homes are drugs and drink, anger, bitterness. We're piping in television programming and all different types of ways to get nudity on our televisions and pornography on and swearing and blaspheming and, and ridiculing the home and undermining the home. And when God's people begin to accept sin as normality in their home, we will reap the consequences with government. It's our homes. It's our homes that need the revival. It's our homes that need to break before a holy God. Lord, let us weep again. I wonder how many Christian homes does a dad take the word of God and every night, five minutes, just reads a passage of scripture with your children and pray. We had the joy of raising three children. They're all in the ministry today, serving God, two as pastors, one's a Christian school principal. And our son's away from us in Arizona pastoring, our son-in-law in Newport Beach pastoring, and our son-in-law here, the principal of our school. We're so blessed, and those 14 grandkids all in Sunday school today. And I wish I could redo it. I tried so hard. My wife was a perfect example. I, tried, I, I wish I could redo it, but I tried to love those kids and pray for those kids. I'm begging God for their lives all through life that they would, as little kids, before they ever came, they would marry right and come to know Christ right and live for God a lifetime. And thank God they have. All 14 grandkids, all but two, are saved. The two little ones are not yet. They don't understand it yet. But I can recall my dad, 90% deaf. He'd get up in the middle of the night. He'd go sit in that green reclining chair. Sometimes you'd come out in the morning or through the night, you'd see him in that chair reading this Bible. But he always had a Bible open. And you know, sometimes you saw him I called him Cooper back then. <laughs> I get back at you, vengeance is mine. You know, what a, what a memory to see that dear old man. He was 40 years old, reading his Bible. Have your children ever caught you reading your Bible, Dad, Mother? Mom, you're so important. You ladies, I don't know how, how, how living a Christian life in an environment like it's tough. I know that. I respect the ladies in this church. I respect the dads and the men in this church so very much. But we've got to get back to good homes. Where, where dad never is yelling at mother. He's kind to her. I heard a clinical psychologist 40-some years ago say this, Christian, he said, one of the greatest things a person, can, man can do for his children is love their mother. These ladies need to be treated with such reverence and respect. We're to reverence our wife, love our wife, respect our wife. No, I don't believe in equal rights. Are you kidding me? 
Why would I want to bring my wife down to an equal when she is, Brother Arthur, so superior? Your wife and my wife, like these ministers, have given their lives to the people of God and to this area and, and, and to us. And, we're, we, we, and I say it all the time to myself, especially, we must be very strange to live with. Mr. Pompeo, it must be tough on Susan. I know she loves you. I know all that, and it's great, wonderful. But the pressure and the, that, that women, God bless you, ladies. Yes. But we need you the whole like never before. We need you to raise and guide and instruct these kids. Though we were raised as children, my wife and I in good homes, we saw these things. We purposed in our life we were going to have a family dinner every night of our lives together. We still do. Thank God for Jack in the Box. <laughs> We've never, I don't think I've ever gone to Jack in the Box. We always have a home-cooked meal. It's prepared so beautifully, different colors on the plate. Always a candle, always Christian music going. And when kids were in the home, I've always said to this church, you raise good kids from an evening table. And we don't talk, we're never allowed to talk negative at the table about school and demerits and did it poorly or they got in trouble. They never just gobbled the food down and left. They, they sat at the table and when it was time, just they didn't ask, could they leave? No, they stayed till we were done. Our kids were taught always to come to mother and give her a kiss as they cleared their plate and say, thank you for the meal. That lady... Next year, it's 50 years we're married. I want my kids always to love her. Your home's so important. Your home and your area where you live in your neighborhood, it's so very important. They, they have to see a Christian home. I have so much more to say, but I just looked at the clock. I need to be done. Oh, it's not government that's the problem. I see what they're doing. It breaks my heart. For you kids and you teenagers down here and you young people and elderly, just breaks my heart what's happening in Sacramento and Washington, D.C., but that's not the problem. If we get the church right, we still have more churches closed in the Silicon Valley than open. If we can get churches, if we get 100 churches like this, this huge 3,000-seat auditorium filled today, if we can get Churches like this, a hundred of them in Silicon Valley. If we could get them all up and down the state of California, if we could get churches open all throughout the United States, and make Sunday a big day and make the home a big thing, and repent of our sins and get right with God from our backsliding, we could see America salvaged. Are you saved today? That's where it all begins. Are you born again? If you died right now today, would you go to heaven or hell? Don't you know? Remember out of our church, Brother Whitlow here and his wife, they he preached in prisons all over the state of California. He just held a revival. So many got saved. But without fail, you go to those prisons and Many times while you're preaching, most of the time, if not every time, they're weeping 
They see their lifelong sentences and murders and criminals, but they're finding hope in Christ. I see great hope in this nation if we could get this nation back to God through the church and through our homes. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.